going on everybody welcome back to breaking the game on uh, nothing but net radio part of the dash radio network i am one of your hosts austin carr obviously as you can see normally my co-host steven is the one bringing you into the show every week um, he's out today he was lucky enough to help his wife give birth to their fourth child earlier this afternoon so you know we're all pumped about that for sure steven you know i guess this is a good excuse to miss a show but <laughs> It does give me a chance to work with one of the great friends of the show, part of the Off the Ball Network, Mr. Jurgen Coney. He's here with me. He was so kind to fill in for Steven. How you doing, Jurgen? I'm doing great. Uh, like you said, a massive congratulations to Steven and his family welcoming their newest little one to, to the group. Uh, you know, happy. Uh, he updated us in the chat that you know his wife and the newborn are both healthy, and you lo- you love to hear that. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I was I was kind of taken by surprise. I hadn't been on the, the group chat much throughout the afternoon. And I looked on there and saw the picture and uh, kind of freaked out a little bit. <laughs> you know, I'm sure my wife thought it was funny, but I, all of a sudden I was all excited for somebody she's never met before. You know, it's, interesting. <laughs> it's kind of interesting what we do, but anyway, Steven, we're thinking about you, you know, can't wait to have you back. Congratulations on being a dad again. Um, We've got a great show. Otherwise, you know, Jurgen and I are going to do our best here to fill his very large shoes. We'll do what we can. Yep. Um, we're calling this episode the early season surprises, Jurgen. We've got quite a few interesting storylines going on. But the first thing that I wanted to get to with you is our early season MVP favorites. We're about a week into the season. Every team's played three or four games, I think, except maybe Houston played two. So yeah. we're st- we're starting to get a little bit of a, a, a very small sample size of what these guys are doing. And I just figured it would be a good time to kind of go over who's really standing out in terms of, you know, best player in the league early on. So, you know, I'll go ahead and let you go first with your first guy. Who do you who do you have as one of your three favorites for the MVP so far? So, uh, and even though it is technically so far, I am fully expecting not just this guy to up his game a little bit, but also the team as a whole. Uh, at the end of the day, Luka Doncic has been a preseason MVP favorite for a lot of people, a lot of people's picks uh, to be the MVP for the season. And even though the Mavericks themselves haven't looked you know, the greatest in the first three games, Luka himself has done what he has had to do. When you just look at the basic stat line of 27-7-7, and you know, in, in and of itself, it's impressive. But when you when you dive into some of the stats that as of this moment, and again, it's a very small sample size, but if we are to look back, he has a better assist to turnover ratio right now than he's had in his first two seasons, which I think speaks a lot considering his number two guy is out. His turnover rate is lower than it's been before. And I think you look at the next eight games for this team, you know, you have teams like Charlotte, Chicago, Orlando, uh, Houston, teams that on paper, you would assume Dallas has a more than fair shot at defeating. This mm-hmm. next bit for the schedule is going to look a lot better for the Mavericks. I felt early on, you know, getting the Lakers on Christmas Day after their opening night game with the Clippers, I think that was just mm-hmm. a, little, a little bad luck because LeBron was always going to come out for that one. Right. Uh, yeah. Chris, Chris Paul and the Suns were ready. 
and then they caught their win. I mean, they caught the Clippers at the right time uh, for their sake. So I, I know, like, record-wise, and again, because it's a small sample size, I don't want to hold record against the guy too much. Luca's doing what he has to do without his number two guy. I have to give him some props for that because a lot of people, you know, their stats like Giannis or uh, Jimmy Butler or Bam in Miami – they haven't started off the season on a hot note. Luca mm. has continued his great play. Yeah, you're you're totally right, and it's a an interesting point of view to what you the way you thought about Porzingis being out with the injury. Because in my mind, the only thing I keep thinking about is how much he needs him to you know to really be a threat in the West, and how they're going to have to be a pretty high seed for him to get you know a lot of MVP consideration but honestly if he you know keeps them afloat without his number two and you know plays like he has been you know that's a pretty good case in in itself too so that was that was an interesting point that I never never thought about um my big thing with Dallas is just like I said you know Luke has gotten to that point now where that stat line 27, seven and seven, I think you said was, is sounds pedestrian for him because if we're like used to seeing it already, like we just expected of him and it's like, Oh, he's, he's having an okay start, but that's really impressive. Honestly, he's in his third year. He's kind of sounds like from what the stats you gave that he seems like he's kind of cleaning up those things that you see like seven or eight year veterans finally starting to figure out like when they get really efficient in terms of like that turnover, you know, assist to turnover ratio and things yeah. like that. Those are things that, you know, younger guards tend to struggle with. So he's definitely making a lot of big strides and considering where he's come from, where he's gone already, that's pretty impressive. He just keeps getting better. And like I said, once you reach that, that point where, people yawn at an incredible stat line because they're expecting it from you like you're definitely doing something right oh yeah mm-hmm. so but i do have a, a another guy in mind that i i personally now after three games think is the leader in the clubhouse for me and that's trey young uh the atlanta hawks you know I, everybody kind of thought the hawks were going to be better this year with the offseason moves they made but they they're three and oh as of the recording of this it might be different when we air on uh Nothing but net on Dash Radio in a couple days. I think they play tonight, actually. But as of right now, they're three and zero. Trey Young has been on fire, and he's not single handedly, but he's doing the majority of the work to get him there. You know, he's averaging thirty four points per game, seven point three assists. His turnovers are down from four point eight last year to three so far this year. Um, his usage rate is exactly what it was last year, right around thirty four percent. He's making 42% of his threes. His true shooting percentage is 73%, which is out of this world. That's 60, wild. they say, is elite. So 73 is crazy. And this next one's crazy, too. His assist rate right now is 41.5%, which means 41% of the shots that his team takes when he's on the court come from assists from him. So almost half. That's a crazy high number. Uh, you see, I see the 30s usually on that and, and am pretty impressed. Right. And part of what the reason I think he's having more success this year is the fact that he actually is taking a lower percentage of threes overall. Not that he's not a good three point shooter. I just think he's being a little smarter with his where he, you know, chooses his spots to take shots and he's not just throwing it up against double teams all the time like he has in years past. Yeah. Um, he's only been assisted on 16% of his two point shots and only 12 and a half percent of his threes. So you can almost make the case that he's really doing all of this by himself in a right. lot of ways. You know, he's 
hasn't missed a corner three yet. He's 100% on those for the year. He's 100% on shots from 16 feet out to the three-point line. So he, his mid-range right now is perfect. I mean, he can't get better than that. And just to see the turnaround that he's that these Hawks have made so quick from last year being a team that you know didn't make the bubble, they were a little bit of an afterthought. And I was almost starting to hear rumblings that Trey, all Trey Young's numbers are just hollow stats, but you know they're starting to compete in all these games. They they've looked good, and he's he's just been on fire. And this is where you have to say, remember, it's been three games. You know, some of these numbers are going to come back down to reality a little bit. Right. But I mean, if if they don't come all the way back down and they just get you know a little bit less than incredible, he's still going to be you know, way out ahead in term, in my point of view, at least for the MVP. So you got Luka Doncic first. I got Trey Young. Who do you got next? What do you say? Well, it's tough to follow. Like you say, Trey has just been otherworldly to begin the season. Right. And it really shows, again, it's ironic that those were our two guys, considering the fact that they were swapped for each other on draft night. Right. It is interesting. Like, you can't hardly help but think that Atlanta lost that deal with what Luca's been able to do, but look who they got. I mean, yeah. there's definitely no losers in that, I don't think. Yeah, I, I think I always told my friends, even from the start, like Atlanta had a vision of how they wanted to build that team mm-hmm. and they wanted Trey to be the guy. And I don't think that's not a slight against Luca. That's not overhyping Trey at all. It's just right. two teams had two different philosophies and I think for both guys it's working out pretty good right now. I can't put my finger on exactly what it is, but Atlanta seems like a fit for Trey Young more than it does for Luka Doncic and Dallas or vice versa. They just feel like they fit on those teams. So interesting how that works. Absolutely. And it worked out perfectly. Mm -hmm. So uh, my number two guy, again, kind of of ignoring the record a little bit and just looking at the stats. And again, I might be a little bit biased because I like my Balkan guys, you know, being from a Balkan country myself. I got to represent my guys. Nikola Jokic, man, like these numbers just off rip. Uh, 24 and a half points per game, 11.8 rebounds, 13 and a half assists, and a PR of over 30. Like, just it, it, those stats don't sound human. They don't sound right. like they're actually happening. As Let I'm alone saying, from a center, right? And, and th- I think that's the biggest thing. Um, a, a center putting up these kinds of numbers, like the rebounds, you you expect to a, to a point. And mm-hmm. you know, there's only a finite amount of centers that are able to put up high point production nowadays. But the assists is just – it's something different with him. He is more than proven to be one of the best playmakers in the game. I remember uh, before one of my classes one time back in college, uh, like a year or two ago, and mm-hmm. my uh, my professor, an you know, old sports journalist, you know, he had some experience. He said that he felt that Jokic was like Zabonis if Zabonis had spent his entire career developing in the NBA. Like the fit wow. to him made so much sense. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I, can, I really see that. And – you see his playmaking taking it up to another level. I think with Denver being one and two, I, I you can't put that on him at all because without him, like they're not in any of these games. Right. And I think yeah, they've yeah. had bad luck. So overall, I think I, I think Jokic deserves it. Again, this is another kind of like looking ahead pick. Like I think that obviously, and I know you agree with this because we both had Denver, Denver highly ranked going into the season. They're mm-hmm. they're going to bounce back. They're going to rebound. Good teams do that. But mm-hmm. I don't want people to ignore these numbers early because he's putting up a great stat line. Yeah, definitely. And and we're going to dive in quite a bit to Denver in our second segment of the show. Um, Steven's actually watching from home, and he just was nice enough to send us a little message. 
Steven, we miss you. Congratulations. Appreciate the input. Um, I know I hear you talk about that all the time. <laughs> we're, we're trying to do our own show, man. We can't be <laughs> you and I'm not trying to be you. I figured that out right away. I can't be as good as you at your job. So we're doing it our own way. No, thanks for listening, Steven. I'll see you. We'll see you soon. Try to get as much sleep as you can now, I guess. Right. So it's interesting, you know, that Nikola Jokic was your second guy because, you know, great minds think alike. He's my number two guy as well. And uh, I don't think there's really, even my third guy on our list is not really too close to these first two in my point of view. How many centers in, in NBA history get enough chances with the ball in their hands not right at the end of a play, right under the rim to score to average that many assists. Right. Like how much do they have to trust the center of their team to be the absolute focal point of everything they do on offense? I mean, it's crazy to even under like wrap your mind around him getting to that point, but he's just such a good playmaker. I, I think a big part of it, honestly, that I don't hear talked about a lot is, Big men like that can see over a defense and they see passing lanes easier than, than, than shorter players can. It's just, it's a fact. I mean, yep. you can, you just have a better angle to see it and he can see over his defender and he has incredible passing ability. I mean, uh, Greg Popovich isn't a type of coach to just, you know, gush about a player for no reason. And he's out here telling everybody that he's the second coming of Larry Bird. So he's doing something right, but he's leading the league in assists. 13 and a half, which is, is crazy. He's got two triple doubles in four games. So you can't put this record on, on him. He's one of the only players that's really, you know, meeting and exceeding high expectations that people have had. And it's not like Jamal Murray's been bad. He's like 17 and a half points per game. But now that everybody saw multiple 50 point games and all these incredible scoring outputs in the, in the bubble, the you know the expectations are ramped up and and his numbers aren't quite where they you know people are expecting them and and I do think a lot of it's luck with Denver like I don't want to get too much yeah. into it because we will talk about it but I mean they've lost a couple close games right could have gone either way pretty easily and the NBA a, a bounce here or there you know changes the outcome of so many games they're all close. You know, they make that saying everybody makes a run for a reason because at some point these teams are all good enough that they're going to, you know, they're going to come back and at least make it competitive more often than not. So I'm not worried about Denver. I think, you know, this is one of those cases where in spite of how the team is playing, he's doing so good that, like, it, in my mind, it's more imagine how they'd be if they didn't have him. Not, you know, well, they're not winning even though he's playing good. So I think he's... You know, he's definitely in the mix for sure. And, you know, you pretty much hit the nail on the head with everything you said. I'm cool with you repping your guys. I rep my guys. I have to all the time. Steve That's kills it. me all the time for <laughs> repping late, you know, being a shameless Laker fan. But, you know, whatever. We all have our crosses to bear, I guess. Hey, I'm, I'm all about repping what you love, man. Right? That's why we like you on having, having you on the show. You're, you're just like us. All right. So we got one more guy each. And... Spoiler alert, we again both picked the same guy. Jurg, I'll let you go ahead and take it away. Well, so I actually, we, uh -oh. we did, and 
I, I do have this guy in my legitimate top three, mm -hmm. but I want to branch out a little bit. Yeah. I want to let you handle handle the guy. I'll let you handle the bulk of the work on that. Because I, I want to throw in a name that I think later on in the season will gain a little bit more attention in the MVP race. Not, I'm not Definitely. trying to project that he'll finish like top five or anything, but like I think this is a guy that has, weirdly, I want to say 25 and nine is a quiet start to the season for this guy. But I got to run with Jason Tatum with the Boston Celtics. I, I love Duke players almost to a fault. And it's not because I'm exactly a Duke basketball fan. Mike Krzyzewski, to me, is one of those coaches where, in my short time of being a youth basketball coach, like I, I have tried to understand like how he ran things, how he organized things. And I have always loved how he's taken guys in. And he's essentially told them, like, in this one year, you will get better. And once it gets to the NBA, people will see what this one year did for you. And while a lot of people say, like, the one year in college is a disadvantage to guys, which I definitely agree, but that's a whole separate other convo. Mm -hmm. Look at the guys the last, like, even just five, six years who have come through Duke and their games went up to uh, – they uh, improved on their game while there to bring into the league. Ingram, uh, Tatum, of course, obviously. Zion and R.J. Barrett, you know, those are two guys that would be the first to admit that one year under Coach K, they learned so much under him. Like, these guys value – going to a school like Duke to learn under a guy like Coach K. Mm -hmm. And Tatum has taken that and ran with it. This year is his first true bona fide year being the number one guy in Boston. I know some would argue last season he eventually did take the reins about midway through. I'm more of a guy that wants to see more. Uh, and even in the first few games this year, it's without a doubt. Tatum is the guy in Boston, especially with Kemba being out. No more Gordon Hayward to take away touches. He's the guy. He's done well so far. If opening night didn't prove it enough, that game winner over Giannis. By the way, I need to stress over Giannis. Mm -hmm. Like he's one of the very few guys who, because of the two inches he grew, grew during the offseason, he now has the ability to get his shot up over just about any defender in the league now mm -hmm. from the perimeter. Uh, I like the fact that he's being more aggressive. And I think he's learned. You saw a little bit of it in the bubble. I think he's now learned in certain moments when to pick his spot. And when a young player, and kind of like you said with Trey Young, when a young player that's good eventually understands that and puts that in his head, that makes him even more dangerous because you already have the offensive talent. Now he's going to be more efficient. And and I, I think later on in the season, that's what's going to lead to it. Again, I had Boston as a pretty good team going into the season. I have them finishing ranked up high. And I think the combination of a high finish and a pretty good stat line should, at least I think, give Tatum some more consideration as the season goes on. Well, Boston's a premier franchise in the NBA, and it's a, a pretty horribly kept secret that he's definitely the man now in yeah. Boston. If if he wasn't already, you know, he's he's taken that that role upon himself for sure. How many guys his age are even willing to take some of the shots that he takes in big moments, whether or not he even makes them? He he takes shots that grizzled NBA veterans sometimes pass up because in big moments, you know from time to time. We've seen plenty of guys do it. He's never afraid of the moment. And you, you took the words right out of my mouth with the coach K, uh, you know, when you're talking about his teaching, there's, I feel like overall the level of coaching in college basketball has gone down the last, you know, 15, 20 years, but those handful of guys that are the best of the best coach K Tom Izzo, Bill self at Kansas, these guys have 
spent years perfecting this system of getting these guys as ready as they can in the short amount of time. And it's all because all the, the coaching is the only reason it's gone down is because of the one and done. I mean, they don't yeah. have time to really, you know, a lot of teams, the guy that barely even really learns their whole system by the time he's moving on. So it's, it's a, it's something that needs to be fixed there. But, you know, I said it about Lonzo Ball. I think one of the things that he missed the most for, with everything that happened in his, you know, prep career was the chance to have an elite college coach work with him. You know, he was in Australia and yeah, he was playing it in a pro league, but I have no idea what the coaching is like in a, you know, a foreign professional league compared right. to the NCAA coaches who have proven themselves more often than not to be very good at getting these guys ready. And, and Tatum, you know, hasn't even really shot that well yet this year. And yeah. he's, his numbers are up there. You know, once he imagine once he gets back to you know shooting his just his normal career averages, his yeah. it's going to be impressive. He's you know he's right there on the cusp of being in that conversation with Luka Doncic and maybe a Trey Young as you know which one of these guys is going to be the the next face of the league. Right. He's he's at least in the conversation, and this is coming from somebody who spent like at least the first two years, year and a half of his career actively avoiding watching him because I didn't want to end up liking a Celtics player, <laughs> but I, I just can't help it. I love watching him play. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, with the shooting, like I, I think that'll eventually correct itself. Not, not only just over time, you know, with his own skill, but Boston as of right now, like they don't have a third, like, confidence score that you can the definitive score that you can have confidence in. Like mm -hmm. Jalen Brown, I think has earned a lot of people's respect, mm -hmm. but it, they just need that third guy there to alleviate some more pressure off Tatum once. And maybe it is Kemba when he gets back from his injury, maybe someone else emerges from that team, you know, whoever it may be who uh, that'll only help Tatum as things go on. Well, Steven always loves to remind me they got that huge trade exception in that uh, Gordon Hayward deal. So they may, you know, hopefully Danny Ainge will, finally turn some of these assets into an actual move that'll help the team, you know, during the season. I think a lot of fans would be happy to see that, but it does kind of feel like with Hayward leaving. And now that Kemba has been hurt, it Boston went from having four guys that you thought could get you 20, 25 on a given night to now, do they have a third scorer? And yeah. I mean, and it, Kemba will be back. And if he's, you know, if he, as long as he's healthy, they'll be all right. They're going to be, you know, they're going to be one of the best teams in the East for a long time. They've got a great coach, you know, talk about a guy that's good at hiding deficiencies in his team. Oh, yeah. Like how many terrible defenders have they had in his time there that are not even really noticeably bad when they're playing for Boston. I mean, Isaiah Thomas for a couple of years was like the worst, literally statistically the worst defender in the league. And when he was in Boston, they had a, at least league average or better team defense. So yeah, it's, you know, some of these coaches do some incredible things, but uh, so the guy that I originally had, we had talked about both of us having that I thought you were going to mention is Joe L. Embiid of the 76ers. And uh, if anybody that's listening, watched our Christmas special, the, where we gave a Christmas present to every NBA team, the gift that I gave the 76ers was a pissed off in shape, Joel Embiid. And I, I don't know if he's if he's pissed off per se. I can't speak for his state of mind, but he's definitely motivated. He's definitely playing like the dominant big man that he should be playing like. I mean, when he's on and, and trying his hardest, there's very few guys in the world that can stop him. Yeah, in you know around the basket, he's averaging 28 points per game, 
almost 14 rebounds a game, 13.9. His true shooting, 62%. He's shooting 36% from three. For everybody who complains that, you know, almost four threes a game from your center is too much. He is a, a above average three-point shooter, actually, and really good for a center. He's at, at 1.7 blocks, so he's affecting the game positively, positively on offense and defense. I think everybody's always known that his defense is what is going to kind of set him apart in terms of yeah. the best big man. And the 76ers kind of hang their hat on defense anyway. And so these next numbers I'm going to give you are some of advanced numbers of comparing when he's playing versus when he's sitting out, and that's pretty crazy. So – when he's on the court, the 76ers offensive rating, which is points per 100 possessions, is 111.4, which is not the best in the league, but it's up there. When he sits, it goes down to 95.2, which would be significantly lower than the worst offensive team in the NBA, like each of the last three or four years. Right. So it's a huge difference. Then when he's on the court, the 76ers defensive rating is 97.7, which is incredible. That's um, under 100 anymore is is impressive without him. That number jumps up to 107.2. So overall the 76ers are over 25 points per 100 possessions better with Embiid on the court right now through this first week of the season. That's insane. That's a ridiculous swing. I mean, we're talking about like the best of the best for a season. It's like double digits is, is incredible. And he's, it's just, I mean, I, I can't say for sure if that'll stay like that, but I don't think there's any reason that he should slow down from what he's been doing so far. I think it's he's going to take himself as far as he wants to go. And yeah. Philly's three and one. You know, obviously things look like they're working pretty well with Doc Rivers there so far. Ben Simmons hasn't had to shoot threes for him to win yet, so <laughs> maybe Doc figured it out. And Stephen and I like to joke that uh, Brett Brown forgot. Uh, what a pick and roll is because they all, all you ever hear is they have these two stars that can't shoot. So they both right. can't shoot. So they can't play together. Uh, pick and roll is the oldest play in, in the game. Yeah. And it's a two man play. It's perfect for those guys. And by so, the way, one of them is a six, nine point guard who can see right. the defense who half of his own fans want to get rid of him just because he won't shoot threes. I mean, they've won quite a few games and they were a, a, Pretty miracle shot by Kawhi Leonard away from the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago. Yeah. And, you know, we saw what happened to the Raptors. So that could have been them. So, you know, they're not far off. They had an ill-fitting roster last year. They've improved that. They're they're making strides in the right direction. But to me, it, it Joel Embiid is is the guy they have to they have to ride. If they want to, if they want to go all the way to the finals and win a championship, it's going to be because he was the best player, not Ben Simmons. And yeah. I think he needs, he's been playing like it so far. And that's what I, that's what I wanted from him. That's what I gifted him for Christmas. So it seems like it's working out for him. He's uh, he's looked pretty good so far up to this point in the season. Absolutely. And I think the point you make, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people understand it, it's been a legitimate conversation the last two years. If you had to pick one, if you could only keep one Simmons or Embiid, there was for the last two years legitimate conversation of why Simmons could be the guy. If it's all about roster construction, if you construct the roster properly, you can make a legitimate argument for either guy if you could only keep one. Now, Philly, they didn't fall for that. It's like, wait, why would we willingly get rid of one of them? Why not keep both? Let's try to make it work out now. And I think with what we're seeing, I think Embiid 
is trying to put that not not explicitly because of anything with due to Simmons, but mm-hmm. trying to put that conversation to rest because we can all agree, just based off of pure talent. He is arguably, I, I stress arguably because we just talked about Jokic, arguably the best big man in the game. And when you, when you talk, want to talk about offensively and defensively, how he can impact both ends, it, it's more than legit. You can't put him any lower than top two at, you know, at worst. And yeah. the fact that he's always had the talent, but now I think you, you mentioned it. I think it's now mental. I think mm-hmm. he's now taken that step mentally. And if he can prove that the rest of this year, I fear for the Eastern Conference because not a lot of guys in the East can, can check him out. Well, one thing that I kind of feel I've always felt like is Joe Allen B does come off as kind of a goofball and he says a lot of funny stuff, but he always has seemed to me like the type of guy who has a lot of pride. And yeah. at some point he's going to be tired of hearing in the media how out of shape he was all last year and how he doesn't try that hard. How do you average almost 30 a game in the play or over 30 a game in your playoff series if you're not trying hard? That doesn't happen. I mean, it, it not not really, not too often. If, if, it, if it is, then that's incredible. You know, like people say, James, you know, James Harden came in 12 pounds overweight right right after he left the bar and dropped 44. But, you know, that, those kind of things don't ha- don't just happen because they just rolled out of bed and jumped on the court. That's not, right. not true. And the media is doing the same thing to the Sixers team that they did 20 years ago to the Shaq and Kobe's Lakers, where Ben Simmons makes a, a joke in – to answer a question in an interview where if it was you and me making that joke, no one would think anything of it. Right. But because they're famous NBA players and, and somebody one time saw them get into an argument. Now it's this big, huge thing about Ben Simmons embarrassing Joel Embiid in public and all this where they both may not even care about it. It could have just been a goofy throwaway line. And we're never really going to know what that dynamic is truly like if they don't want us to. Yeah. And they both seem like the type of guy that, are okay with not really, you know, divulging too much information about what's really going on. They don't, I don't think either of them really ultimately cares all that much what the media says, but I do think all the fans and all the talk about him be, being out of shape at some point, the, just the, the way his personality is, I always felt like he was gonna, you know, eventually have enough of it. And I think we're starting to see that now. And I'm excited to see if he carries it on through through the rest of the season because, yep. you know, I think when he plays his best and tries his hardest, there's almost nobody in the game that can do much about it. So, yeah. you know, Philadelphia's got a, a bright future regardless of how, you know, down in the dumps their fans want to act like like it is. They're, they're going to be okay. But that's going to wrap up our MVP favorite segment. That was fun. Thank you for bringing us your insight, Jurgen. We're going to move on to – a little bit of a different segment. It's kind of similar. The The theme of the episode is early season surprises. And there's definitely been a lot of those so far this year in the NBA. Um, if you look at the standings, they almost look like you're reading them upside down. Uh, I, I feel like, like a lot of teams that nobody hadn't even sniffing the playoffs are, you know, two, three games above 500 and in first and second place. And a lot of teams that I think everybody just assumed were going to, you know, have another good year are, are struggling more than anybody really expected. So we've got four teams that Jurg and I are going to go over for you guys that we are the most surprised about. It can be good or bad. And then at the end, we're going to determine which one we think is the, is the biggest surprise so far in this, in this season. Cause like I said, it's, 
there's been a lot of unexpected, you know, outcomes so far. Well, so Jerg, I'll let you go ahead with the first team you have prepared. So the first team I have, and I think it's only right to bring this team up because they actually, they kind of, they kind of gave a little whooping to the Philadelphia 76ers in their game mm-hmm. without Joel Embiid. Uh, the right. Cleveland Cavaliers have, have uh, really come out the gate strong this season with a three and one record. I don't think a lot of people would have predicted that, you know, it relatively easy uh, first couple games of the season, you know, Cleveland, Charlotte, and Detroit are three teams that are kind of going to be near each other as the season progresses in terms of the standings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like you can look at those games and kind of not be surprised with what the result is. Like it, it, if the next time they face off with Charlotte, if Charlotte happens to win, it's like, okay, you know, Charlotte just got, got their good night as opposed to when last time Cleveland had theirs. But I think my thing is the way that Cleveland has gotten off to this three to one stretch is interesting. Now we all know Colin Sexton, has taken his scoring up to another level this season. 25 points per game to start off. Again, like uh, with all the guys we mentioned, how how much of this is he going to keep up? When is the little fall-off going to happen? We don't know. But the fact that he has now become a 20-plus point-per-game scorer, when his offense wasn't necessarily the first thing you thought of when he was coming out of college. You know, he, he had a couple good scoring games, but he wasn't an offense-first player. We knew him for his, his length, his defensive intensity and ability. So the fact that he has blossomed well is good for Cleveland, mm-hmm. as well as second-year uh, point guard, we should really say at this point, now that they've kind of figured that out, Darius Garland. Mm-hmm. Coming out the draft, I was really intrigued with Garland because he, he only played a very small portion of games in college because of injury. And we didn't see too much playmaking, so you kind of had to wonder, like, what's going on there? Well, now he's averaging nearly eight assists per game. Uh, to start off his sophomore campaign. The fact that they've defined the roles for those two, two, I think, is important going forward. You can't, while versatility is nice, you need your players to have a specific role. And the fact they've decided Sexton is the scorer and Garland is that playmaker who can score at times, I think is a perfect balance. But now you look at the rest of the team. Andre Drummond looks like he may be having a career renaissance in Detroit. You know, nearly 20 points per game and 15 rebounds is wild for a guy that was traded for a second round pick. And I, I forget, I think it was a Doritos Locos taco is what else that Cleveland mm-hmm. essentially sent to Detroit. Yeah, today. pretty much. Yeah. So, if it wasn't the Locos tacos, I think it might've been an order of nacho fries or something, but it was not, maybe, you know, pennies yeah. on the dollar to say the least. Yeah. Oh, it, uh, what, what, what old currency did they use back in the day? Cause I think that's more so what they essentially six got for pen- six pence or something. Yes. Yes, Pens. He's played well. JaVale McGee, a very underrated pickup for them uh, early on. He's played. He's been a great backup. And, and going to why they've been winning, it's been the defense. You know, you look at some of these games. In the Detroit Pistons game, Derrick Rose was 4-15 off the bench. Sekou Dumboya didn't make a shot. In the game against the Hornets, uh, Bridges and LaMelo Ball combined went like 3-15. of 15. In that Philadelphia game uh, where Embiid didn't play, I think only one or if not, no 76er got at least 10 field goals up in that game. It, it The way that they've done this, which is, you know, you, you're getting the offensive production from some of these guys, but the, the team defense they've played to bother a guy like a Derrick Rose, who I think most agree off the bench has really gotten uh, a renaissance for himself. He was a sixth man of the year candidate low-key last season. He's my sixth man of the year pick this year. So yeah, your sixth man of the year this year. Uh, a, a guy in Lamelo who I know he didn't play a lot in that game against Cleveland, but still the fact that he he just didn't feel they made him uncomfortable very quickly in that mm-hmm. game. Bridges being a guy that he essentially couldn't buy a basket against them, 
And then, again, exposing Philly in terms of Ben Simmons not letting him even consider being aggressive in that game. They they took it out. And the key thing, I think, in a lot of these uh, contests, they have found a quarter or at least part of a quarter where they just take over. In Philly, it happened before the fourth quarter. That's why Harrison Simmons' minute counts aren't so high because Philly essentially knew, like, okay, this is Cleveland's game. I think Charlotte, I, I, I might be confusing them, but early on, like, they, they handled – Charlotte to the point where it's like you knew Cleveland was winning. Like it's just been mm-hmm. so impressive. I got to give that defense credit. They've been great. Right. The only the only team they've played that I don't have really any excitement for is Detroit. And yeah. I had Cleveland and Detroit pretty interchangeable at the very bottom of the Eastern Conference to start the year. And you you don't see teams that are realistically going to be that bad. I mean, last year at some point, at one point, Cleveland was like seven and twenty seven. You know, and I thought they were headed for that again. You don't win your first. You don't win three games in a row ever if you have a season that bad. It's very rare that you do, and you don't beat a team with you know championship aspirations or at least deep playoff run aspirations by twenty some points. Yeah. If if you're one of those really bad teams, so I think part of this is just the fact that they had two very very high lottery picks that are young guys that are figuring it out and are extremely talented. And at the end of the day, as much as we want to talk about analytics and and break down every little bit of everybody's game, talent is the thing that you want more than anything. Any yep. any front office guy will tell you, you give me the talented players and I'll find a coach that will figure out how to put them together. You know, I'd much rather have the better players and figure it out after the fact. And maybe that's just – this is just an instance of, you know, like you said, I was I liked Darius Garland as a draft prospect just from the fact that he was hurt so long. Nobody was really talking about him, but he was like for all the way up through, uh, you know, AAU in high school, he was rated as the number one guard in that class. Yeah. And so he's been a highly, you know, sought after prospect for a long time. And you were right. He did. They did kind of switch places in terms of positions. He's averaging eight and a half assists a game right now. Like he's taken over as the point guard on, on that team. He's shooting 45% from three. Colin Sexton is 53% from two, from to the field as well as 53% from three. And he's taken over three attempts a game. So it's not like it's a real small sample size. Right. They're both, you know, just kind of showing what I think Cleveland hoped they had in them when they drafted him up there. It's kind of the same deal that happened to Boston. Like everybody was amazed that this young team you know, built around this nucleus of young guys got good so fast. Well, they had three straight, really, really high lottery picks, two that weren't in the top five that were arguably the best player in their draft. I mean, talent like that, you should get good pretty quick. And and I think that may be partly what we're seeing there there in Cleveland, as well as I've kind of been on this Andre Drummond train for a long time that he fell so out of style in terms of the way the NBA plays basketball that it actually came full circle. And now he's kind of going to be a sought after commodity again, right? Because, that kind of rebounding along with being one of the top five guys in field goal percentage every year. I'm sorry. There's always a place for that. He's, he's motivated. He's athletic. He's got a high motor. His defense is incredible. He's at 2.8 steals and 2.8 blocks so far. That's those that's off the charts. Nobody blocks three, three shots a game anymore in the NBA. Not like they used to. 
So his numbers are have always been crazy. He's just never been on teams that have won much. Yeah. So I, that's I, that plus the fact that he doesn't stretch the floor or you know shoot from outside makes people just uh, you know kind of overlook him and feel like he's just a dinosaur when he's really not. Yeah. So the one thing I did want to touch on real quick before we moved on was where's Kevin Love? I figured if they were going to be successful at all that he was going to kind of have a renaissance year right. he's averaging nine and six right now and he missed two of their games so they're doing all of this without the highest paid player on their team right. even really contributing much so you know a few weeks ago i was worried that cleveland was one of those teams that didn't even have a direction and it looks like now they may have two young promising future stars in their backcourt so yeah. it'll be interesting to see if it if it stays that way but uh they've got to be happy so far uh, we're going to move right on to my first team, and I'm going to talk about the Toronto Raptors, kind of on the flip side of Cleveland. Everybody kind of, I think, just expected Toronto to come back and be competitive again. Obviously, everybody knows they lost Marcus All and and Sergi Baca, so they're going to they were going to miss them. But I don't think anybody saw them starting off zero and three. They're right. last place in the East. They they haven't really been competitive. Uh, Pascal Siakam hasn't looked good. And here's some of the team's numbers. They're 0-3. They lost to the Spurs, the Pelicans, and the 76ers. The Spurs are another team that you know nobody has thought much of going into the season. So that you'd think that was a game that they should have won. The Pelicans are, are young and exciting, but Toronto's a pretty veteran team. You'd think they'd probably be able to, to you know, fare better than they did in that game. And the 76ers, I, I kind of figured they might lose that game. I, I'm, I'm kind of high on Philadelphia. But so here's some of the numbers. Toronto's taken the ninth most shots in the NBA, but they're 25th in makes and 29th in field goal percentage. So they shoot a lot, but they don't make very many of them. Apparently, right. They also take more threes than anybody. They've taken the most threes in the NBA, but they're all the way down at 20th in three-point percentage. So they're struggling from the field. They're struggling from three. They're taking a lot of threes. And it seems like they're not really attacking the rim at all. They're dead last in free throw attempts in the, in the whole league. So that's just a recipe for disaster right there. They're turning it over at 18 a game, which uh, is 23rd in the NBA. That's way too much for a team that's kind of built around veteran guards and a yeah. point guard that they just gave a huge contract to. Um, so, you know, when you look at the guys that they lost, you'd think, okay, maybe they're not going to be able to protect the rim and they're going to get killed on the boards, but it seems like they're not shooting from out well at all. Right. And they're not protecting the ball. Uh, they don't average a lot of assists. They don't get second chance opportunities and they're not shooting well. And they are, are kind of a team that relies a, a lot on threes. So if they're not shooting well, they've got to be able to get those second chances and now they're not rebounding well either. So nothing's really going right for them so far. And it's not really the way I thought they would struggle. Right. But I was pretty pretty down on them in terms of where I thought they'd finish. I actually don't have them in my playoff uh, prediction for the preseason. Right. I changed that last minute. I just I wasn't real confident with them all offseason. And when they didn't really replace either of those big guys very well, I mean – they were already a thin team last year and they have no depth now. And Aaron Baines is their starting center now. And other than him, the other four starters average like 37 minutes a game. So they, they need, they need some depth. They need uh, a more of an inside presence again, and they need to start attacking the rim. 
And if they keep doing what they're doing right now, they're, they're going to struggle all year. And I just, that was, I wanted to kind of touch on it partly because I kind of saw it coming just in a different way. Right. And partly because I feel like a lot of people just assumed because, you know, they've been good for so long and they had the coach of the year that they were going to figure it out. And they have obviously haven't so far. Right. And, you know, definitely a fair assumption. Uh, I, I think one thing uh, to kind of like put a bow on it, at least on my thoughts on that, um, they've gotten off to in these games. They've actually started strong, but they have been struggling when it comes to trying to close out. Um in the New Orleans third quarter, in the Spurs second quarter, in the second half against Philly, every time they get outscored by double digits, so you let that happen, you, you're going to lose the game. Simple as that. It's very true. If you if you go cold like they have game after game and you can't rebound your misses, you're in trouble. So who's your last team? Who's your other team you got? Your- uh, so you know, I kind of alluded to it before. I had to give my guy some props for the MVP race, but this is where I got to not, not kill him, but his team. The Denver Nuggets this season have not looked like the team that made it to the Western Conference Finals uh, uh, last season. Simply put, one and three. You know, that, that's one thing. Like, sometimes teams that go far the previous year will start out slow. You know, I'm a hockey fan. I'm used to seeing that. Uh, but the defense, in their losses, they've let up 124 points, 121 points, and 125 points. And in the win that they had, they allowed the opposition to score 111 points. Simply put, that is not going to win them games. I think, you know, while Paul Millsap is a nice veteran, it needs to be a little bit more than him at this point. Someone else in, whether it's the lineup or the bench, needs to take the responsibility, if not the best defensive player, like, because there's a difference between, you know, the stats and what you actually do, what shows. I think if someone just tries to be more of a leader, more vocal on defense, like that vocal guy will make a difference. For as talented as he was defensively, if Kevin Garnett was only like 70% of how good he was defensively, but he was still that leader, he would still have the same impact. He was he would still have been a defensive player of the year. Uh, now, I'm not saying anyone on this team is going to be anywhere near that, but if they, they just have more of a guy that's a talker, that's that's big. So I think the defense is the main thing. And I know you alluded to it a little bit earlier, and I, I don't want to harp on him too much, but Jamal Murray, I think we need to see a little bit more. Clearly in the playoffs, he's a performer. 24 career po- uh, points per game in the playoffs is phenomenal. But now it's down to 17. At some point, the regular season needs to match the playoffs. And Gary Harris, again, like, you know, less than 10 points per game, 17% from three. Like, it, once those two guys, like, once those two guys get over it, maybe it was because they also had a short break. If those guys, like, can get past this, Denver will be fine. Oh, yeah. I, I think Denver's not – shouldn't be too worried at all. You know, they've got six guys in double figures, actually six guys that average, I think, 12 or more. Michael Porter Jr. has made the improvements that people wanted to see him make, and it is all about the defense. They're not going to be a great defensive team, yeah. but uh, just a little bit more effort here and there and a couple, you know, like you said, a little bit more communication. I think they'll be just fine. They've lost a couple close games. Jamal Murray hasn't really had a, a breakout game yet. And, you know, Jokic is going to be Jokic, I think. I, I think you can expect his numbers to, to stay pretty high for most of the year. So I think ultimately they'll be just fine. Oh, it's, yeah. it's early for them. That's about the only one of these teams that we're going to discuss that I'm not really worried about or don't think what I'm seeing is too true. My other team that I have is the Sacramento Kings, actually, is – interesting because they are the team that has beaten Denver twice. They've also played Phoenix twice and they're one and one against them. Um, Sacramento may not keep this up either. Uh, They have six guys in double figures and a seventh score that's at 9.3. 
but they only have one guy that's over 20 and the next is at like 15. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, the term like in football running back by committee, this team, this team seems like offense by committee. Like they, they don't really have much of an identity yet. I don't think. And they're just a scrappy team that's played really hard and they're healthy now. And, they're kind of believing in each other and it's shown so far early on. It's hard to say they've only played two teams and one, we just talked about how much they're struggling. So it'll be interesting once they've played a few more opponents, but they're, like I said, this team is very balanced. They've got three different players averaging over eight rebounds per game. Um, Tyrese Halliburton is somebody that this show loves. Everybody Lee from, uh, you know, hoops prospects comes on and gushes about him and we just back up everything he says, but he's arguably been in my eyes, one of, if not the best rookie this year so far, he's averaging 11 points per game, 5.3 assists and good things just seem to happen when he has the ball. And when he's in, you know, in the game, his true shooting right now is 76%. He's, Averaging four threes a game and at 50% on the dot for those. He's he's a knockdown shooter. I knew that coming in. And De'Aaron Fox, 20 and 7, you know, he's looking like he deserves that contract extension he got. We're finally getting to see what it looks like when Marvin Bagley's healthy for more than two games in a row. So, you know, it's nice to see him out there. He's at 14 and 9, so almost a, a quiet double double. And he was a guy coming in out of Duke that I loved. I was super Same. high on him. I still think he, if, if he puts it together, he's he's going to have a heck of a career. But they're middle of the road in a lot of stats. They're 15th in field goal percentage and field goal attempts. Uh, they take a lot less threes than they did last year. So that's kind of a theme. All the teams that we see that are having you know more success this year, they're at least like in Atlanta and Sacramento, they're not shooting as many threes and their offense is getting better. So they're obviously taking better shots or, or shooting better, I guess, if you want to say that. I think it's shot selection personally. Um, but they are 10th in the NBA in three-point field goal percentage, so it seems like the threes they're taking are good shots. They're 10th in rebounding, so they're efficient shooting, and they're pretty you know, solid rebounding team, which are two things that uh, Toronto is not doing right now, and that's what's kind of dooming them. Right. They also are protecting the ball pretty well. They're 10th in the NBA in turnovers. So they're in the top 10 in three pretty significant stats. So it's a little better than middle of the road. Yeah. Um, but better than you'd expect from a, a team that's been, you know, perennial, perennially in the basement in the West for a long, long time. Yeah. And they, they haven't had a whole lot of bright spots. Um, their margin of victory is basically not existent. I think they've scored like, seven more points than their opponents in all these wins. So they're winning a lot of really close games. And I haven't seen a, I haven't seen a stat line or a highlight that really made me like say, wow, when I'm watching them. But for a team that I blatantly came out and said that their coach was the worst coach in the NBA. And then I didn't think they had much of a direction prior to this draft, which I really liked their draft. They, they have to be happy with what's going on. You know, they're, or three and one, which nobody expected. And Luke Walton looks like he's kind of got a, a, a decent working relationship with his team, which a, a few months ago, I think they weren't even answering his phone calls. So something changed. They figured something out, at least to a certain extent. Uh, Buddy Heald's not scoring quite like he was last year. He's not shooting as much, but they're winning games. And I think, you know, winning kind of cures all ills in a lot of instances. So this, it's another one where, you know, this may not last. The West is deep. The West is extremely tough this year. Um, but overall, I mean, if you're a Sacramento fan or part of that organization, 
you have to be extremely happy with how the season's gone so far. Absolutely. And I think, you know, like you said, I don't think they will last, but I, if there's one good thing you can take, it's the fact that their young guys are performing well. And I think if Bagley and Heald, if, if they take that next step, you know, maybe they'll at least be competitive to the end of the season. If you're Sacramento, considering how the last decades has gone, that's all you could ask for. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, from a, my time of my, you know, my heyday of basketball fandom was, you know, the Shaq and Kobe Lakers and Sacramento was always great then. And to right. see how far they've fallen and how long it's been since they were even really competitive, it's, you know, at some point it's like, okay, it's, they, they need to catch a break. And I think Tyrese Halliburton falling to them may be the break that they needed. Um, and, you know, a lot of the themes of these teams are young, young players are starting to step up where people kind of had lost faith in them a little bit, uh, you know, maybe jump the gun too early on those things. So regardless, the NBA is in good hands. There are so many young stars in the game right now. It seems like every team's got a guy that their fan base can point at and say, he's going to be the guy for yeah. us. That's going to take us to the, you know, the promised land. Adam and that's Silver not always that. Adam right? Silver loves that. That's not always the case in a 30 team professional sport, you know, professional league. The NBA has had plenty of, of time periods where it wasn't real competitive. There's a few good teams at the top and a lot of really bad teams. And I don't know that there's a, a whole lot of really bad teams. Cause we just talked about two or three of the teams I thought were going to be really bad and they're at the top of the standings. So right. it's, it's been a wild first week of the season. Um, but we're almost out of time. Uh, I just want to, Thank you for coming on again, Jerg. I'll give you a minute to kind of, you know, sell yourself, let everybody know where they can find you at and what you're doing. So, uh, at, Jer at Jerk 40 again, you know, I, I love it when you and Steven invite me on and whenever I get to do shows with you guys, you guys are the best. Like I've always said, you, everyone at Thank off you. the ball network is awesome. Uh, so at Jerk K 40 on Twitter and Instagram, I'm predominantly the hockey guy on off the ball network, but I do some stuff on the side with other sports people want to check it out you know I, I would be greatly appreciative of, of it yeah man we're all a little we're all well-rounded on off the ball network we all have a couple things that we can you know fake it till we make it on but you're <laughs> definitely one of the more knowledgeable guys in terms of multiple sports that i that i know for sure like i i don't know the first thing about hockey appreciate so. it <laughs> any anything you put out about hockey i'm i'm my eyes are glued on it because i want to learn it it's fun to go watch hockey games i just can't get into watching it on tv i'm here but, to educate y'all i got you. right that's why you're here you know i said it to lee all the time i didn't know anything about this draft class we had him on to make us look good that's why we bring you <laughs> on because you make us look good and you know steven and i even when we were talking about him not being on today you're, you're the first name you're the only name that really came up in any seriousness because you're just you've been on before we have these great conversations you, you fit our style we're just you know it's compatible. It works, and we appreciate you. And we'll have you on anytime. I you know, that. obviously, we want to have you on when Stevens here, so he can run the show and not me, and I can relax <laughs> and just do my thing. But hopefully, Steven, we didn't. I didn't embarrass you tonight. I think it went pretty well. I had a good time. We we talked about a lot of interesting teams that you know a lot of things aren't what you'd expect so far in the NBA, and sometimes a week isn't that small of a sample size. So it'll be interesting to see going forward, but. Make sure to give us a listen on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel or find us on Off The Ball Network. Find us on Twitter, you know, uh, YouTube. We have a website. I mean, anywhere you can find a podcast or a show, it's there. Trust me. So Stephen does a great job getting this out. So thank you, everybody, for taking time out of your day to listen to us. I'm done rambling now. I can go back <laughs> to my 
normal job and let Steven run the ship. So, Jerk, once again, thank you. And yep. well, that's everybody, have a good night. Thanks for listening and have a good one. Happy New Year, everyone.